values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum superstar Michael Buble is headed to the Footprint Center on September 20th for his higher tour. Limited tickets are still available, but you could win a pair by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. All right, the White House. This is a headline that uh, doesn't surprise me, but everyone should kind of be a little concerned about. The White House is silent on whether the tax increases are necessary to pay for the student loan handout. Um, This specific topic has got so many people talking, and I'm glad the conversation is happening. Um, To convolute, in my mind, to convolute benevolence, and charity and philanthropy with tax and spend to me is such a convoluted mess. And I will explain to you what I mean. Um, I believe that giving is a privilege. I've talked about it a number of times. I've been in places in my life where I wasn't able to and I cannot give to a great degree. I'm certainly not a wealthy philanthropist, but I am able to give now in my life. Uh, There are two things that I am grateful for, and it was because of the struggles I've had that makes me more grateful. One of them is I've been in a place where I didn't know if I'd be able to pay my bills or when I did go pay my bills, I had to pay them late and go face people that I owed more money than I was writing the check for. That is a horrible place to be. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. But I had to do it. I actually now pay my bills early every month. Now, I have a lot less of them. I don't have that debt anymore hanging over my head. But I pay my bills early every month. And I say that not to brag, but to say it's a privilege to me. It may I like to pay my bills now. Um, I like doing it. it. It's a sense of accomplishment to me that I'm in a place in my life where I can pay my bills. And I know that sounds silly, but not to the people that have been in a position where they didn't know that they ever would be able to. That's first. Second is my ability to give. That I can when I when we when we do the giveathon for Phoenix Children's, I can contribute every year. Um, when I talk about and I encourage people to donate to St. Mary's Food Bank or Circle the City or United Food Bank or St. Vincent de Paul, if there's a specific need they have or a specific drive they have, I can jump in and I can give. Those that to me is a privilege. That the ability to give is a privilege that many people desire. Um, And in smaller numbers, or not in smaller numbers, I would say in big numbers, but in in a different capacity than I'm in in the station in my life, parents that are able to tell their children yes to things that are valuable for them. If you're in a position to do that and you've been in a position where you can't, you embrace the ability to say yes. Your child might not understand until they have children of their own how difficult it is to tell a child no when you know it's good for a child. And uh, so our economy plays a big role in a parent's ability to do that. Inflation plays a big role in people's ability to do all of the above. There is a difference between me saying this is a worthwhile cause. Uh, let's let's call it student debt for forgiveness or student debt, whatever you want to call it. If if we know someone that's going to college and is in a in a hard circumstance, and we say, hey, listen, this whatever's happened in this family, we're gonna get a GoFundMe page to try to wipe out this student loan debt so this kid can go to college and not have to worry about money. That's a personal choice that I might actually jump on and say, I would love to help this person out or that person out. To be very honest with you, I would love to, and I'm working on starting a a foundation um, 
where I can provide scholarships to the children of first responders or first responders themselves that want to go back to school and improve their lives. If you're a first responder and you want to go back and get your master's degree, I would love to have a scholarship foundation where first responders can get some money from our foundation to make it easier for them to go back to school. So that is a personal choice of giving. That is me saying, let me help you. If you owe me money personally, if you owe me money and you don't have that money, for me to say to you, don't worry about it. That's my choice because you owe me the money and I'm saying don't worry about it. When the United States government goes out and arbitrarily starts erasing debt from people, and it is arbitrary, the the criteria of making 125,000 a year, 250,000 as a married couple or head of household, but it's everybody, whether you graduated or you didn't, whether you got good grades or you didn't, whether you're in a place in your life you can pay them or you can't. None of that matters. That's the criteria. And they shift the burden of that debt onto other taxpayers. That's a completely different thing than me forgiving a debt that someone owes me. Now, it'd be, now if I said, listen, you owe me this money, but you know what? Uh, you owe me $1,000. I've got a couple of people over here that actually owe me 1500 So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your 1000 I'm going to forgive your 1000 and I'm going to add it to their debt over here. Those people are going to say to me, ah, you can't do that. I, I don't owe you that money. You can't make me pay that money. And that's what we're doing. And that's what I think is the problem. It isn't that I want to see people struggle. I don't think struggle is a bad thing sometimes, by the way. Struggling makes you stronger. I don't want to see people drown. I don't want to see people who are wiped out financially because of student loan debt. But struggle is not necessarily a bad thing. Struggle makes you stronger. Struggle makes you uh, appreciate success more. What really bothers me about this is that the hero in all of this gets to be Biden in the minds of some and we fit the bill the rest of us pay the bill never had student loan debt because I didn't go to college I paid for my oldest to go to a school so she could get a certification I help pay tuition for other kids in my family you know I do that by choice because I have the ability But to take somebody else's debt and put it on my shoulders and say it's the right thing to do, if it's the right thing to do in your mind, God bless you, write the check. Write the check. If the president of the United States said, we are going to start a fund because of this overwhelming debt, and whatever money we raise is going to be divvied up between kids in this criteria, and you have a choice to do it, that's wonderful. But when the federal government says, we are going to forgive debt in this group, we are going to forgive your debt. And now they're saying, well, you know what? We really don't know how we're going to pay for this. And they're saying $300 billion, but it could go as high as $900 billion uh, when you take away the interest that would have been paid on the money. When you talk about that kind of money, who in the American economy, what American taxpayer is going to foot that bill? Well, we all know it should be the person that accumulated the debt. You want to solve the problem of education and expense, talk about the expense of an education. Go back and take a look in our society and ask why it costs so much money for a college education. The return on investment isn't there anymore, but the costs continue to climb. Why why aren't you addressing the cost of an education versus, okay, you can go get an education and then we're going to wipe out the debt anyway? 
and we're going to wipe out the debt, but it doesn't really go away. It means somebody else has to pay it. If I forgive your debt, I eat that money myself. If I'm eating that debt and it's spread out to other people, no. If, if you invested in a bank, if you own stock in Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo is forgiving debt because they say it's the right thing to do, and it's coming out of the dividends that you would be paid on the value of your stock, that's not them doing anything nice. They're doing the nice thing that you are paying for, and that's where the problem lies. That's where the problem lies. In a moment, we're going to talk about a speech. Uh, it is uh, Jerome Powell from the Fed talking about the future of this country. What did the speech have to say? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Jerome Powell spoke today in uh, Jackson Hole for the the annual symposium about inflation. I want you to hear a little bit about what we can expect from the Fed in the coming months, what they believe is going to offset inflation. So we're going to start here talking about uh, what they've done so far and how it's worked. To a level that will be sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2%. So they want to uh, reduce this. They want to raise uh, raise interest rates to be sufficiently restrictive, want to return inflation to 2%. So interest rate hikes, what's going to happen? Are they coming? Our decision at this September meeting will depend on the totality of the incoming data and the evolving outlook. So when you look at these, uh, the comments that are being made, uh, there were those that were talking about inflation months and months and months ago. And this is this is the political side of this. This is the leadership and the decisions you have to make. Um, When you look at Wall Street and what Wall Street does, Wall Street pays a lot of money to people that are really good at predictions. One of the frequent guests on the show, whenever the economy is talked about, one of my frequent go to people, I would say she is the go to person for all things uh, economic is uh, Kristen Bentz from KB Advisory Group. She lives here in the Valley, but worked on Wall Street for years and years and has built an impeccable reputation in the industry as a predictor. And what she was was a retail analyst. That was her profession before. I mean, that was her wheelhouse. So she knew the retail world inside and out, and she was able to very accurately predict this is what's going to happen. What's happening now is going to have this effect down the road in these places in the retail world. So investors could see that's a good investment. That's a little too risky. That's high risk, high reward, and they could base their – their actions on what predictors like a Kristen Bentz, and there are many others in the, in the country, um, what they did. And that's what Wall Street does. When you and I see something happening in the stock market or we hear about something happening with a particular company or an industry when it comes to finances, the, the investors knew about it long ago. Wall Street was doing something about it six months ago. You're just hearing about it now. So – In the private sector, you would want somebody on your side. If you hire someone to manage your money, you want someone that's connected to that. So our expectation of leadership, and I think it should be for everyone, whether it's a business, it's a a, a football team, whatever it is, is predicting where the good and the bad is going to be and reacting to it before it becomes a crisis. The American people were talking about 
and the media were, was talking about inflation. And what we were told from this administration was that it's temporary, that it's transitional. The president's words were that it's going to jump up a little bit, then it's going to go back down. It is not permanent. That we kept transitory was the word we kept hearing. And that isn't the case, which means the experts that should have acted months before that didn't act until months after. And now they're playing catch up. So the reason why this is an important conversation is now you're having to do more severe things. um, And I want you to hear this is one of those the severity of the things that have to be done that's going to be painful for people. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. That is uh, restrictive as far as interest rates. Interest rates are likely going to stay high. So I know this is not a, a direct um, equation here, but if you if you get an infection, if you if you're not you know if something happens, you get a cut and it gets infected. The longer you wait to take care of it, the more intrusive the the cure. It's why we have cancer screenings earlier in life. It's why people go get regular checkups because we all know when something as severe as that is caught early, the invasiveness of the treatment is far less the earlier you catch it. And in that regard, this is the same way. The earlier you are able to get your arms around this and catch it, the less intrusive and the less invasive and the less severe the cure is going to be. This is what has so many people that own businesses and so many people that are watching this supply chain issue take um, you know, parts of their industry and shut it down for a while. And now they're talking about intrusive taxes and now they're paying more to borrow money and it costs more to do business. And people are saying something should have been done a long time ago. So there is a level of what are we doing now? We can complain about what happened, but how do we fix it now? But then it's also consumer confidence. How much confidence do, do the American people? People have in President Biden and not just him, he's the figurehead, but of the experts that the president has surrounded himself with, whether it's uh, Powell or whoever it is, um, Yellen, anybody else. How much confidence does the average American have that those leaders have us on the right track to fixing the issue? And that that's the biggest issue in the American government right now. People vote with their wallets. You've got the Fed saying we are going to be, they call it restrictive policy. That means high interest rates, that they're going to continue to do this and they have to continue to do this to slow down the economy. And the balance is how do we slow down purchasing in the economy without driving it into a recession? And people are concerned. People should be concerned. And the idea that we shouldn't be talking about this and it's scare tactics. No, it isn't. It's a reality check is what it is. This is a reality check for people. And it's a valid one. Um, in just a moment, we're going to talk about the uh, the Chandler Unified School District. It was something we touched on earlier. Uh, there has been another teen suicide in the Chandler Unified School District. And some students are speaking out about this. And they're asking for help. And I want to talk a little bit about this as we gr- kids are going back to school. But the mental health and well-being of people is a topic we have to discuss, unfortunately. And we will. Next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Still one of the best records of that whole era. Licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys. I remember buying the cassette tape. 
Man, it sucks getting old. <clears throat> Beats the alternative, though. Um, we have to talk about schools as we do often, and I have I have no aversion of going after who I disagree with politically in schools. I don't like the politics of school districts. Um, I think that we focus on some things that we shouldn't. And I've got some headlines. Uh, one of the, I'm going to start in a different place than I did last time. To avoid today's wokeness, parents are enrolling their kids in Catholic school or faith-based education. Uh, Catholic school is the best-known one, but the faith-based education, there's great faith-based schools here in the Valley, you know, Scottsdale Christian, um, Phoenix Christian, there's a lot of great schools, uh, and, and, good, and good Catholic schools as well. Um, but faith-based education to get away from some of the curriculum in public schools. Uh, the reason why we've expanded the ESA program in Arizona, I believe that it was necessary, and the reason why I think a lot of people were calling for it is because the lack of willingness to move from some of the curriculum that was out there and that parents are frustrated that, you know, although you can call it good or bad for your child, they don't want you putting it on their child. And it has to do with, um, you know, a lot of the, the racial classifications and the, the conversations that are going on, certainly the sexual ones that are going on, not the biology. Um, and I wish I wish there was a way to verify this without, um, you know, saying things we can't on the air. But anybody that knows me knows I'm not a prude. There's nothing prudish about me. I'm certainly not that repressed prude person. But I also think there's a lot of age-appropriate things. There's a lot of things that I won't say in front of strangers that I'll say in front of friends because they know me and know where I'm coming from. There's jokes I won't tell in a mixed crowd. There's jokes I won't tell children because there's things that are appropriate and inappropriate for children. And to now all of a sudden blur that line in the schools is unfair. I say that because that's the politics of education that people are moving away from. So families that have the ability and time and money are moving their children to faith-based education or charter schools. The expansion of the ESA program addresses that for families who can't necessarily afford it. It gives families the ability and the freedom in some cases to move their child and the tax dollars along with them into an education setting that best suits the interests of that child. And I don't see anything wrong with that. But here's something that affects all of us, and I talked earlier about this, and that's the Chandler Unified School District having to defend itself on its mental health record. Um, and I just want to read a little bit of what's happening here. Uh, Sophia, a girl named Sophia, a sophomore at Basha High School, um, said, the kids are dying, and they have been for years. Last time we were here, we told you what we wanted. Today, I'm here to tell you what we need. These are high school students. Um, more than a dozen people, most of them students, spoke before the August 10th CUSD governing board calling on them to do more on mental health. They held a study session on the topic earlier in the day, outlining the steps the district has taken over the past five years to improve mental health for students. Some of those students said it's not enough. Here is another student speaking out. We've asked you guys to listen to us and work with us, and so this won't happen again. It's a girl from Chandler High School. We've proposed many reasonable solutions and offered as much insight as we possibly could. All of these were disregarded. We continue to reach out to you. We got little response throughout the summer. If we got any, I'm here to under the, under the same circumstances as other young students took. Uh, another young student took her life this weekend. How many students have to die before you make a change to do the job that we elected you to do? Now, um, it's pretty bold statements from a high school student. I will say that, uh, and I'm sure there are people that know me that are not going to believe that I'm going to defend the Chandler Unified School District or any school district for that matter. Um, you can't lay this at the feet of a school district alone. Um, 
parents have to be involved, and even then, it's not a 100% effective way of doing things. Friends have to be involved, and for young people, if you're if you're with your parents and you're listening right now, um, I want you to know that this problem doesn't go away after you're young. You know, once you get to be an adult, your your mental health issues are not solved. That there are many adults that suffer in silence with mental illness or with something going on emotionally in them, deep depression that leads to suicidal thoughts and suicidal tendencies. And it is a horrible thing as a friend or a loved one or a family member to watch someone suffer like that. Um, I mentioned earlier that my my youngest brother's best friend in high school committed suicide the day before he left for college. And it's a time I'll never forget. And uh, it was my job to organize the pallbearers at the funeral, which is, and this was 1992, it was, you know, even at my age then, it was in my 20s, um, was a horrible thing to have to do. Um, but it was an honor to do that for this family. But I remember being at this funeral of this young man who was just a day away from starting college, and they buried him in his baseball uniform. He was an amazing baseball player as a young kid. They buried him in his baseball uniform. And I remember being in his funeral and seeing this overflowing crowd of people um, in this funeral home. And it was just the crowd of people was enormous. And many of them his age, 18 years old, maybe a little older, a little younger. And I remember standing there and thinking, if he had known how many people would be here mourning his loss, would it have made a difference in the decision he made? And I don't know the answer to that. I I don't know if you suffer from depression like that, if you realize the negative effect, the the sadness that you bring upon people when you take your life, that the sense of loss you may feel, and that's a part of the depression, is you feel that people would either be better off without you or would be – it wouldn't matter to them very much in the long run. And and, and that's that's that false narrative in your mind because – I can tell you that it, it was it was a sadness that happened in, again, 1992, um, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the impact it had on his family and on my brother and, and all of us who love this kid. And so for anybody out there, um, there's no shame in, in, in seeking help and trying to talk to somebody and saying, this is how I feel about myself. And, and I, I, you know, what do I do? How do I get out of this place? But when it's young people, it, it's especially sad because as adults, as we get older and we look back at that time in our lives and we think, man, you've got your whole life ahead of you. And if young people get sick of hearing that, you got your whole life in front of you until you're in your 50s and you look back at somebody else it's in their 20s and you say the same thing to them because the adventure is just beginning. The the great days of your life lie ahead. And in, what's interesting is some of the toughest days in my life I look back on as some of the best days. They were horrible when I was going through them. And I look back on them now with fondness, with, with, with joy in a way of what it taught me and how I was able to get through it. And there is no magic pill. There is no magic way to get through this. I understand the frustration in these young people, especially if they say we've come to the district and told you that, you know, kids are hurting, kids are dying, kids are suffering, and you're not doing anything. But this is going to take a holistic approach. This is going to be parents. This is going to be friends. Uh, you know, listen, a lot of times, especially when you're teenagers, uh, your parents know less about you than your friends do. 
And there have got to be friends that are willing to step in. And there are some times when you're going to have to go to an adult and say so-and-so is acting differently or they're saying things that are scaring me. That intervention just might save someone's life. The other side of this, I will say to young people, um, any of them that might be listening, I would say – You also now have to understand the effects that your behavior has on people around you. Social media is an ugly place. And when you're not facing someone, when you're not standing in front of someone and watching what your words do to them and how they bother them, the horrible things that you may say either in jest or say in anger on social media because it's anonymous, um, it's a way that when someone is close to the edge, you know, that can, that, those comments, I'm not blaming you for somebody taking their life, but those comments can push them over the edge because to you, what makes you angry might push them past the breaking point. This is where we should be talking about being kinder to each other, a little bit more understanding, and tone it down a little bit with the anger and the vitriol. To hear about young people taking their lives as adults, we look at this and think, what a, what a waste of, a, of potential. What a waste of what that life could have been. And I just don't want to see it happen to anyone else. It's got to be a collective effort. In a moment, an interesting story as Mark Zuckerberg went on to a podcast and talked about why Facebook blocked information about the Hunter Biden laptop and what he says now is his regret. It was a very interesting conversation. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. A pretty, uh, I would say, impactful interview, the Joe Rogan experience, that podcast. He had Mark Zuckerberg from Meta or Facebook or whatever you want to call his company now. Um, And they sat down and talked about the FBI and about the Hunter Laptop situation. A couple of things have been very interesting in what's what's gone on recently. And this is where I call out um, people in my industry, whether it's talk radio or journalists themselves, real journalists, which I'm not. I'm an opinion person. Big difference. There is a big difference. And I, I mean this with respect. Uh, I am closer to um, the same genre as an E.J. Montini or a Lori Roberts than I am to a John Hook. Uh, they're journalists. You know, Christina Carilla, um, you know, our news team here, they're journalists. I am more of an opinion person. I editorialize. Um But being honest and being fair is part of it in my mind. That doesn't mean that I take joy and I focus on the things that I'm not interested in. I talk about whatever I want. But you have to at times acknowledge wrong is wrong when it's wrong. Journalism's different because in journalism, you have to not just maintain the appearance of of, uh, impartiality. If you're going to be a good journalist, you have to be impartial in how you deliver the facts. This is interesting. Mark Zuckerberg, who was under no, uh, you know, no obligation to do that, was talking with Joe Rogan. And here's what he said. The FBI basically came to us and some folks on our team and said, hey, just so you know, you should be on high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. And we have noticed that basically there's about to be some kind of dump that's similar to that. So be vigilant. Um, Zuckerberg said he can't recall whether the FBI specifically mentioned the Hunter laptop story, but said it fit the pattern. 
Zuckerberg said it basically it basically the ranking in the news feeds was a little bit less. Fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely would have. Um, and uh, Zuckerberg uh, said this before uh, Rogan interjected and asked, but what percentage? He said he didn't know the percentage, but it was meaningful. Said a lot of people were still able to share it, but we weren't as black and white about it as Twitter. He admitted that when the Hunter Biden laptop turned out to be legitimate, he regretted that it was suppressed, though he said the process was pretty reasonable. So um, the criticism of the, the FBI continues. And this is what this is what bothers me as well. Again, I am an unapologetic supporter of law enforcement. And so when you have people, um, the street cops from agencies, whether they're police officers, sheriffs, deputies or troopers, or you've also got the field agents with the FBI, these are men and women that could do anything. I want you to think of the standard of excellence that it takes to become an FBI agent. It is a very high standard physically, mentally, emotionally, all of this of good character, passing background checks and everything you have to do to become. These are people that are qualified to do anything, to make much more money in a safer profession. They've chosen to do this. What ends up happening most of the time is the corruption or when I say corruption, it might be too strong of a word, but I think it's an accurate one to some degree that when the compromising comes from the top, from the politicians and the bureaucrats that are there, and that's their job in leadership is they are when they're working the way they're supposed to work is they take the political heat so that the field agents can do their jobs fairly and impartially. When the appearance comes out, and sometimes it's more than appearance, that they are choosing sides and taking orders and being used as a tool of the Department of Justice or a tool of the of an administration, whether it's Republican or Democrat, that's when the American people, all of the American people, should be concerned. We had this, uh, you know, the the. Um, the information disinformation board has been squashed now in the federal government, and we were very concerned about that, and we should have because if, if they get to dictate who's, what the truth is and you're happy with the party that's in there now doing it, what happens when it changes sides? The truth is going to change. You understand that. That's why you've got to be very careful. Um, but now when you have somebody in the FBI with law enforcement authorities advocating and saying this fits the pattern of disinformation, be very, very careful. You and I both know there's a lot of power that goes with that badge. When the FBI knocks on your door and says, hey, be careful, this fits the pattern, and then they turn out to be wrong, even if they weren't, even if they weren't out there advocating for squashing a story, how does it look? What is the FBI doing getting involved in stuff like this? And in the end, this laptop story is a real story. The media hasn't gravitated to it very much. I haven't talked about it a whole lot. It's ugly. It's disgusting what's in there. And then the latest about Biden's daughter and her, her diary being validated that it's real and some of the gross things that came out that were reported that were in there. I don't know how much of that's true. But the idea that one side of the media is going to say if, if, if it's Donald Trump, everything is fair and we're going to go after this so guns blazing, so to speak, no pun intended, but guns blazing. And when it's the other side, ah, that's a non-story. We're not going to focus on that. We're not going to talk about it. This is where people lose trust in the media. But bigger than that is when the, when the FBI is doing this and is advocating for one side or one, uh, you know, one side of the story, 
um, one narrative, it ask, makes people ask questions. And I, I don't think that this is going to go any time soon. And good for Mark Zuckerberg going out and saying, hey, we got it wrong and we should have done it right. and We shouldn't have listened to what the outsiders said. I think that's pretty significant. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, more of what was in and what we got to see from the affidavit from Mar-a-Lago. Uh, all I saw was a lot of black ink covering up a lot of stuff. But we will tell you some of the details that we have found out about that. How significant is it and what does it mean? Next.